Welcome to Episode 7 of the Civil War Breakfast Club. Join my co-host, the lovely Mary Fincher. I am merely Darren Weeks. Good evening, Marion. How are you today? Good evening, Darren. Oh, I like doing the intro. That's a lot of fun. <laughs> and how are you? I'm good. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing very well. Today is a very special day. You know why it's a special day? There's two oh, reasons why it's a special day. The tribe are playing the Yankees, and they're hopefully going to No, no. I was going to say, for the second time in three years, the Boston Red Sox are about to embark on a World Series championship drive. They're going to win it for the second time in three years, right? Golf tournament. Yeah, I didn't watch any baseball. I assume the Red Sox are in it, right? Are they in it? <laughs> they're oh, not. Killing. Anyway, the real reason why is we finally, 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 about greatest battle in Mary's life, battle. <laughs> Of Chickamauga, it's why we call her Chickamauga, the Battle of Chickamauga. We're going to talk about that tonight on a beautiful, beautiful autumnal evening. Yes, again, I, but I'm stuck inside because it's raining, and I'm just changing my name on here to Chickamauga because that's the <laughs> name I was last week on their Facebook Live on Saturday. Really, that's well, the I mean, nickname that Darren has christened me with is Chickamauga because it's my <laughs> kind of my battle. It's to say it's your battle is your battle, and it's a great battle. We're going to talk about the background. We're going to talk about the battle itself. Mm -hmm. talk about actually you know what this you know why it's not a special night i just realized this is going to be the beginning of another two-parter it is and we're going to actually leave this one on a cliffhanger at the end i believe yeah for those who don't follow the battle of chickamauga there's a lot of great intrigue a lot of folks tend to focus on the east myself included and we did a fantastic job mary on the (laughs) battle of antietam last week and today we're going to take our traveling roadshow west to the northern part of georgia southern part of tennessee and we're going to talk about the big battle of Chickamauga. I'm looking forward to it. I am too. I love that we're covering like Eastern and Western theater kind of equally. East side, West side. In the whole Civil War, they're, they're all important. When you start to do the deep dives in these battles, you're like, wow, that's important for this reason. I've used the analogy of stepping stones a lot. It's like, if certain things don't happen, then you don't have certain battles. Mm-hmm. And certain battles are important for different reasons. For instance, mm-hmm. Chickamauga is important because it is centered around the city of Chattanooga which was an important railway hub. It's not an over, overly populous city in the South at all, but it's got the Tennessee River around it. And it's a, as I said, it's a railway hub. But President Lincoln saw it as being just as important as Richmond. Absolutely. I mean, not, not only, we'll talk more about it going forward, but, you know, the Chickamauga-Chattanooga area, obviously, big part of the Southern military complex, the mm-hmm. industrial complex, as you mentioned, has the railroad hubs. It's right, basically right in the middle of everything. And this is one that I think a lot of people don't really study on, but it's a gigantic battle. You're talking 60,000 Union guys, 65,000, 66,000 Tennessee guys from the Army of Tennessee. And I think a lot of people don't realize, they think maybe Chickamauga is just one of these small little skirmishes, but this is one of the busiest, bloodiest battles in the West. If I can sum it up in one word, it would be clusterfuck. It is just a clusterfuck. That's the phrase that Lincoln actually used. That wasn't his second, his original draft of the... Gettysburg address yet. It was clusterfuck. It was. Actually, it was. It was also so we in the, hear all, also in the battle this, reports. <laughs> we hear highly resolved in this clusterfuck. <laughs> but anyway, Chickamauga, kind of a funny name. I know there's a little bit of history to it. It's an Indian yep. name by by definition. There's some different different questions it's about disputed. how it came. Yep, it's, it's disputed. disputed. The river of death is what people talk about yep. it. And I was reading a story that partially there's a lot of the Indians had bathed in that river and a lot of them had yellow fever. Mm-hmm. Got a lot of them sick and died. That's one of the rumors. Who knows? Who knows what it is? But it sounds scary. It could also be a Chickasaw word meaning good country. And it could also be an Algonquin-derived word meaning place of fish. For the battle, it was a spot where Union and Confederates, they, they fished 
That's why General Long John Silver fought there. For that reason, as a matter of fact. But some, but some big, big armies involved, the Army of the Cumberland, one of 16 yep. Union armies operating in the American Civil War, going up against the Army of Tennessee, not the Tennessee, but Army of Tennessee. Yeah, not to one be confused with the Union Army of the Tennessee. Exactly. One of 22 Confederate armies operating in the American Civil War. So we mentioned a little bit ago some of the numbers, and when it's all said and done, there's going to be some guys coming in and coming out, obviously, but you know, over 60,000 will go under William Rosecrans, who was in mm-hmm. charge of the Army of the Cumberland, and 65,000 will be under the great Braxton Bragg of Cincinnati Bengals fame. <laughs> it's one of these rare battles where the Confederates are actually going to outnumber the Union. Mm-hmm. And now Bragg doesn't have all these troops at once. When he starts off, when the fighting starts on the 18th, he doesn't have all those troops there. He's actually not going to have them there until like the evening of the 19th. I'm getting a little bit ahead See, of myself there. I was going to say, I, I heard. But the battle started on the 19th. No, it starts on the 18th. So we're going to talk, talk about in a little while. We're going to talk about Minty and Wilder, aren't we? We are, yeah. Oh, okay. Which, well, if you see the... me on Twitter, that's what I've been about. It's Minty and Wilder. Uh, but we'll talk about some of the heads of, of these, these armies here. William Rosecrans, again, he's a, like many of these guys, a West Point guy yep. from the class of 1842. Graduated fifth. He also graduated with James Longstreet. We'll see in this battle a little bit. William Walker, we'll see in a little bit as well as well as D.H., don't call me A.P. Hill, also <laughs> went to school with him, too. And up against, and in the other corner, Braxton, Braxton Bragg, Bragg, who ironically also graduated fifth in his class. Yep, in 1837. Year, 1837, he graduated with Jubal Early. Well, it seems like everybody graduated with Jubal Early. Have you yeah. noticed that? Weren't there yeah, a couple of big classes where there was a whole bunch of them, like two different years? Where the, Was it 18... 1842 was not the big year, right? Was no, there, like, there was a bunch. There was, a, there was probably three or four or five in every single yeah. one, but Joe Hooker was in this class. Mm-hmm. Also, the, the elephant man, Sedgwick, was in this class. Yeah. He was in this one as well. So there was a lot of future big names and a lot of current big names. This is, battle would have been fought just about six months or so after Gettysburg, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, six months, not like one month. No, like one about, month. No, yeah, September. It's four months. Oh my God, your math is like... You, I was saying, you're already wowing us with your math skills. You one you know, up to me know, on that. Six months? Okay. You know, you know why? It's like a Chattanooga in my head. Six like months? Six months. You know really what? weeks? Take, oh. I think we start Who's this doing Mary over? McClellan math now? Oh, look at this. Huh? Look at this. Everybody have a good time. Everyone have a fun. <laughs> and I'm, I'm rooting for your Indians tonight. You know. I know I am. Hey, go Indians, right? Go Indians. <laughs> yeah, go but, tribe. <laughs> We'll get to talk about the battle here in a second, but again, it's the biggest battle in the Chattanooga campaign, yep. and it tends to, it does go on for a while, you know, as far as this whole, I know you're going to get into a lot of the history of the actual battle, but mm-hmm. basically what it comes down to is, again, Rosencrantz continuing to push Bragg around. Every seems like every battle they fought, Rosencrantz, Bragg would retreat, mm-hmm. and it was basically fall back, chase, fall back, chase, and this one was no different. He was pushed back from June to July 63. Bragg did retreat to the Chattanooga area, and basically that's where he went to go get him. Bragg ultimately shifted along the Tennessee River and crossed the Tennessee River, basically unopposed, and, and then when his time went on, he just basically was chased by Rosecrans. Yeah. So the one thing to mention about this campaign is, as you said, Darren, it's been going on for a while. Like these two have been at each other. So they have Stones River, which was, it was almost a Confederate victory, but Rosecrans just kept at him. And then you have the Tullahoma campaign I've been reading recently. That's one area, everybody I think looks at Rosecrans and just sees Chickamauga and what happened there. If you look back to something like Tullahoma, apparently that is quite a brilliant campaign. So that's something I, I would like to read more about just to, because I think Rosecrans, like he had talent, obviously he had to, if he's keep 
you know, he's able to get this far. But the one thing he does is so once he knows that Bragg is in Chattanooga, he needs to create a diversionary tactic because he knows he can't just attack. It's too risky at all because they've already built up fortifications around the city, which the Union are going to use in the siege of Chattanooga once Chickamauga is all done. But that's for next week's episode. I know you're all excited to talk about the C word, Chickamauga. But we didn't talk what we were drinking tonight. Oh my God! Right. Good call. I mean, this is this is like seven weeks in, man. I know. This Ricky Ricky era stuff. No. So what are you what are you drinking? I'm drinking Shine by Alora Brewing Company, which is it's maybe about an hour and a bit from me, and I am drinking it out of my George Henry Thomas mug because if it's Chickamauga, how can you have it without George Henry Thomas, right? I'm gonna call him the Rock. I'm gonna give him that nickname. Uh, we can't do that yet. He's not the Rock yet. I'm gonna do it anyway. I declare it. I declare it. Okay. <laughs> well, I, I'm drinking two things to celebrate your outstanding podcast with Chickamauga. I am classing <laughs> up by drinking, drinking a little bit of Rebel Red Adams County wine. Yeah, as I do are a little you. bit of wine left over mixing, from dinner. It's not Rebel mixing, Red. I'm mixing wine and beer, so this will be a fun podcast. And I'm also, <laughs> I'm also drinking pumpkin beer out of my Gettysburg mug. So. Nice. Anyway, so there's our breakfast part of this. I think when you look at Chickamauga, I think the clusterfuck word you mentioned, but I think also on both sides, it's complete miscommunication of mistakes all the way. Oh, absolutely. It's miscommunication all around. I mean, it starts off brilliantly for Rosecrans, I think, in the way that he creates this diversionary tactic where he sends Wilder in along the Tennessee River and he's just basically like, make him think, make Bragg think that you got a ton of troops there. And that's what Wilder does. He's got them dragging limbs behind horses to stir up dust and they're building a ton of fires to make it look like there's lots of troops there just to get Bragg to focus his attention on there. And that allows Rosecrans to get through the mountains. But once he does that, he decides he's going to divide his army of the Cumberland. He sends Crittenden with the 21st Corps. They go and they end up taking Chattanooga because by this point, Bragg is like, fuck this. I got to abandon it. And he goes into Georgia. That party was over. Time to move yeah, on. It was done. We were done. Uh, yeah. Evacuate the dance floor. <laughs> Wow, that reminds me. You're gonna be doing some singing tonight. Man? Absolutely. Talking about dancing. No, the singing. <laughs> the singing is not happening un- until we go to Surratt House no. Tavern thing. Walk and roll. The walk and roll. Yeah, that's where that's happening. There, I just called it. I just committed myself. And that will be Facebook lived. <laughs> that probably won't be like <laughs> uh, But I think though, you know, you, you talk about how Crittenden arrives from Chattanooga. He's going to come from the north, and you're going to have yep. Thomas, who's going to be coming from the west. And you're going to have Alexander McCook, who's going to be coming to the Lookout Mountain area. Yep. I think this, and this will prove to be a gigantic mistake on Rose, Rosecrans. It, it will. Like, dividing his army is not, the way he's got it is not good. And, like, Bragg's going to get reinforcements. But there was no rhyme or well, reason. They couldn't support each other. There was no supplies back and forth. They didn't know what the right hand was doing versus the left hand. No. I think there was an opportunity to maybe do some stuff. But he did. And he did take, take Chattanooga. 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 He yep. did take Chattanooga on the 9th of September without any battle. Through just through maneuvering and deception. And, and he gets a lot of credit for that. But I think he kind of, I don't want to say throws it away a little bit, but I think he ultimately misses an opportunity by splitting them up a little bit. I yep. think he really, he really thought that Bragg was escaping to Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And he was fully retreating. And I don't think he realized that Bragg was basically going to throw the brakes up and basically in that Chickamauga area and set up along that Lafayette Road and set up that whole eastern part of the ridge. It did come back and haunt him a little bit, especially when he did send he did send some of his division guys, you know, 
Yep. You want to, you want to talk about Negley? I'm going to let you talk about Negley because I... Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Oh, James Negley is in the second division of the 14th Club Thomas, and he's basically going to lead the division. So he, le- he leaves Lookout Mountain, uh, and he's under the impression, because that's what he's told, that there are no Rebs in the area. Yeah. He's going to basically, he's going to walk in, he's just going to, it's going to be a parade. So on the 10th of September, he does cross the Chickamauga Creek. He gets over to the Pigeon Mountain area. Mm-hmm. And he starts to get hit with, rib, with rebel skirmishes, like opening yep. fire. And then he's like, oh, shit. I missed the memo. There are Confederates here. He gets surrounded by Bragg. He gets surrounded by D.H. Hill and Thomas. And this is a, right off the bat. This is another mistake that veterans make was you have a chance. I mean, Negley's going to get supported. Uh, he's going to get supported by Baird. Absalom Baird. Absalom. I can't remember the name. Absalom. That's going to be a future Starbucks coffee. Yeah. Absolutely. That That's that needs to be. He's also a future Medal of Honor winner of the battle yeah. in the Atlanta campaign. So Negley's supported by Absalom Bears. Right off the bat, you've got Bragg has a chance to bag two divisions right off the bat. Mm-hmm. He's got it. So he has two of his guys. He's got D.H. Hill, who we'll hear about a lot tonight, and Thomas Hyman. And he also has Simon Buckner in his reserve, too, because he's the band's all getting together. Both Hyman and Hill are under the impression that the other guy is going to attack first. Yep. Just picture them staring at each other. What are you guys just going to stare at each other all night? Yep. That's, what that's basically what, what they're thinking of doing. So what happens? It gives the opportunity for Negley and Baird to freaking escape. So they end up escaping through Stevens Gap. And you know who's pissed? Bragg is pissed. Oh, yeah. He's pissed. He's pissed because he lost he his opportunity. He, he missed a golden chance to get yep. them just because he gave the order. And for whatever reason, both Hyman and Hill just assumed the other guy was going to do it. Yep. And I have no idea why they thought that. Well, Hill, Hill basically takes one look at it and he's kind of like deems it. And Hill's the type of guy that would basically look at an order. He's a lot like Polk as well, who's also part of the Army of Tennessee. Hill deems it impossible and says, fuck it. And then Hindman, who is known as the Lion of the West, basically becomes like a fucking kitten. And he's like, not happening. This is not happening. But the one thing to mention about this is that sending Negley in, Thomas does not agree with at all. And Rosecrans has got arrogant by this point, And he said, I want to go after them. And Thomas says, no, we need to bring everybody back to this, to Chattanooga. And we need to attack this way. And Rosecrans is basically just, dude, you don't know what you're fucking talking about, but I do. But anyway, send, well, Negley, I, I, send Negley down the Lafayette road. And that's exactly I, what happens. I think in, in Rosecrans defense a little bit, he was under the full impression that there was going to be no Rebs and they were going to get the back end of the tail heading to Atlanta. They, could, yep. they were just going to snipe that. Yep, that's but exactly. You but you mentioned, you mentioned Leonidas Polk, another great name, by the way. Yep. A lot of great names this been. You know? Polk and Bragg are the Sheridan and Warren of the Confederacy. These two do not like each other mm-hmm. at no, all. They- and when you throw Longstreet into the mix, it makes for some really epic drama we're going to talk about in probably some future episodes. Well, speaking of Polk, since you brought him up, fast forward a couple of days later. Now we're on September 13th, 1863. Mm. Leonidas Polk has got an opportunity to attack Crittenden. He's got them. Same deal. They're right at Lee and Gordon's Mill. Yep. They got the opportunity to attack them there. For whatever reason, Polk does not attack. He doesn't attack. Oh, so that, that's what Polk did. Polk was just the type of commander that he would take a look at an order and basically kind of be like, this isn't an order, it's a guideline. It was a slow poke is what his problem was. Right off the bat, within three days, you've got an opportunity to bag an entire corps yep. in two divisions from Thomas's 14th. Right off the bat, you had a chance to get him. And again, missed opportunity. Yep. Missed opportunity. So then basically, Rosecrans realizes, oh shit, they're not retreating. The whole 
freaking army of, the t- of Tennessee is there. So he calls the troops back together again. Yep. He, um, he's, he, he basically has to leapfrog them he, back from where the, they are. Bring the band back them. together again, right? They're, yep. they're, all, they're all coming back. So he brings it back. And, and I was thinking, you know, you know, my mind always falls back to Gettysburg just because that's the way I've been wired. It reminds me a lot of when Henry Harrison came and he told Lee or Longstreet and they had to close that umbrella. Yep, absolutely. So, so now Rosecrans has got to close that umbrella. So they're all spread out. You know, you've got, they're all over the place. You've, you've got mm-hmm. his three armies basically spread out. So he basically has to race back. He's got McCook's 20th Corps, Gordon's Mill. He basically has to get everybody together again quick. So now, the thing that you notice about the army in this battle is they go from offense to defense to offense. Like you look at Gettysburg again, it's all defense, right? Yeah. This one, they're changing hats all the time. That's kind of the, the beginning part of the battle. And then yeah. it, it does lead to Bragg ultimately moving his army of the, between the army of the Cumberland and Chattanooga. So now he's right, he's right mm-hmm. there. So he's right in the fire. And, and so he's, now he's thinking, okay, I'm going to cross the Chickamauga, and I'm going to sweep down from the south, and I'm going to try to flank him on the left. Yeah. And that's really as we lead into the, into the 18th now at 7 a.m. when your boys show up. Yeah, but the one thing I want to mention before we start – into the first day of the battle and i will also explain why in my opinion the 18th is the first day of the battle because this is something that's disputed in the civil war field but one of the things to mention is the terrain at chickamauga it is very different from from gettysburg it's very different from antietam and anyone who's been to the battlefield which i've been there twice it is you go there and you're like whoa i can't believe they were fighting in some of these areas so it's thick woods it's swampy and trust me there are swamps there because i've been in one there are probably snakes there i bet right I, I don't know. I ran very quickly towards it. It's it's actually just behind the Florida Monument by the Visitor Center. I was, yeah, I was like, no, I'm going to go this way. And apparently that was not the way to go because you end up in a swamp. So the terrain is old growth timbered forest, which this is going to make things more complicated because the, so when you're walking around Chickamauga on a, on a sunny day, like if you're out in the open, it's obviously sunny. You go into the woods. I can't imagine fighting in there. And I certainly couldn't imagine fighting in there in the dark, which is something that does happen in this battle. So you couple the darkness of the woods with the guns firing with this hilly kind of terrain and you lose sight of the army. So if you're a corps commander, you might not be able to see your troops. And the other thing that happens in this battle is because it's fought piecemeal, divisions, brigades, whatever, they're separated from their usual commanders because of this. But for this reason... So the smoke from the guns causes a very, very dense fog at times. But the other thing that happens is this is is said to be a true soldier's battle because at times the commanders can't see where they are and the soldiers start having to make decisions. Well, I I think a lot of people who go to the east battlefields, Gettysburg, Antietam, even Kernstown, you see vast, wide open spaces. And I think people who don't travel these other battlefields, admittedly, I have not been at Chickamauga. Mm -hmm. I I think next fall we'll be doing a field trip. Yep, we're we're definitely going next fall. Yep. So... I think I think most people assume they're like that, and most of them aren't. If you've been to Chancellorsville or even Fredericksburg or places like that, or even as you say, Chickamauga, it's you're fighting in closed circuit areas. You're fighting, you, you can't fight linear formation because just, oh. there's just no space. And what the other thing it does too is it really validates the artillery. They they didn't fire artillery unless you could see what you were shooting at for the most part. I know artillery does show up in this battle, and it, it plays a big part in guns being captured here. But I think people realize this is more of a guerrilla type jungle warfare, mm-hmm. a lot of Vietnam type situation, perhaps. Yeah, it is. Where you're, you're basically, every single soldier has to has to be their own commander. Yeah. They've got to make their own decisions. They, 
because you can't fight in that that elbow to elbow linear formation that Civil War fans are so used to seeing, because it's trees, the swamps. It's probably yeah, a clown it's, it's, in the woods. It's probably a clown. It's, it's not. It's not an ideal spot to fight a battlefield. And I've said this about Shiloh too. Like Shiloh is not ideal either. But it's not like Rosie and brag are going to get together beforehand and be like dude this is a really shitty spot to fight a battle could we just go to an open field you know what better yet let's just solve it over a couple of beers that's not going to happen well yeah but it's braxton bragg he's not going to fucking settle anything over beers you need a butterfield then you have it, then you have it. <laughs> braxton bragg we are talking about a man who argued with himself you haven't no, not in the way Bragg did. I was not quartermaster for something and also in another position where I'm having to ask for things from the quartermaster, writing the quartermaster and then writing myself back and denying myself what I've asked for. That sounds like fun. That sounds like a lot, of, <laughs> a lot of people I know, actually. Well, Bragg, you've managed to argue with everybody in this army, including yourself. Great. Good, good well, let, you. me, let me set up the 18th for you, okay? Yeah. So, so I'm going to give you a fastball right down the middle. So <laughs> it's 7 o'clock in the morning on the 18th of 1863. The Union is basically going to send in Robert Minty, a colonel, yep. and his cavalry to basically guard east of, of Reed's Bridge. Okay. It's a delaying tactic that's going to happen against Bushrod Johnson's division and some of Nathan Bedford's uh, forest cavalry. Yep. So what happens? Well, you've got two of them fighting there. So you've got Minty with his cavalry. They are also called the Sabre Brigade. He's Irish born. Minty actually spent time in Canada before the Civil War. He was actually married in a town about an hour and a half from me called London, Ont London Ontario. I've heard of London, Ontario. Yep. I think you've been to London before, haven't you? I have. So he's married there. He worked for a railway and then he obviously came back for the Civil War. And then you have uh, Wilder who is actually, it's not cavalry, it's mounted infantry. And they are armed with Spencer repeaters. So this is, they fired seven shots before they had to be reloaded. And they're at two different bridges. As Darren said, Minty's at Reed's Bridge and Wilder is at Alexander's Bridge. So Bragg's plan is to cross the Chickamauga at four different places. So General Bushrod Johnson is going to be at Reed's Bridge. General William Henry, the names in this battle just kill me. <laughs> General William Henry Shot Pouch Walker's Reserve Corps are going to be at Alexander's Bridge. And Buckner is going to be at Thedford and Dal Dalton's Ford, and Hydeman is going to be at Lee and Gordon's Mills. So there's four different areas that they're going to be crossing. So just so just picture just a just picture a map, okay? You've got the Union on the left side of the creek, and there are fords, basically meaning places you can cross the Chickamauga Creek. The Union wants to keep the Confederates off their side of the, of the water, so they guard the fort. So Minty, basically, a la John Buford at Gettysburg. He's yeah. basically going to fight them. And remember, remember we started this at 7 o'clock in the morning. So what time does he defend these bridges until? He defends these bridges until 3 p.m. Yep. He, he goes back to one of the un other Union commanders and he says, okay, it's got to be 11 o'clock. And the guy's like, dude, look at your watch. And he finally did. And it was 3.30. No, no he's idea. Completely outnumbered. Now, again, he doesn't have a doesn't – he's going up against a division. He's going up against Nathan Bedford Forrest, the wizard of the saddle. Yeah, he's outnumbered five. To call him. Yeah, Minty is outnumbered five to one. And I mean, what he does here is amazing. He keeps falling back, which means Johnson's men have to move from their marching column to, line, to get into a line of battle. And then as the Confederates would advance, Minty's men would get back on their horses and they would move further back, which meant 
that Johnson's men have to fall back into like, you know, their, their marching order and then they have to keep going again. So he's just, this is one of the delay tactics that is used. So this is not, when I was reading this, you know, this comes across me, this is not a skirmish. This is a battle happening right now. And what does he do is he stalls them in, you know, for whatever reason, the number of disparity that, that Johnson division had, he had probably the best cavalry commander in the Confederacy at the time in Forrest, but it takes them, you're the math expert. What's, how long does it take them? So <laughs> seven from hours? Seven until three in the so afternoon it's before, so it's, it's late afternoon before Johnson is finally in sight of Reed's Bridge. So meanwhile, up the creek, John Wilder, yep. who, is, as you said, is mounted yeah, it basically mounted artillery, right? Mounted yep. artillery, mounted infantry, mounted infantry yep. which, which basically means they're using their horses to maneuver, and then they're jumping off the horses to fight, yep. and they're moving around. And to your point, they had those seven-shot Spencers, once they say you'd load on Sunday and fire yep. all week, you yep. know, that um, the Custer's guys had, Gettysburg, yep. as a matter of fact. But yep. basically, he's going up against William. This is another situation where you've got a guy who is holding them back, holding them back, holding them back. And basically, they end up repulsing Four rebel brigades just using artillery and the Spencers. Four. And they are down, they're less than a thousand to defend Alexander's Bridge because Wilder has to send troops to help Minty at one point. So even he's outnumbered as well. And the terrain plays a role here too in hindering the Confederates. They are having to stumble over this really awkward terrain and it takes them out of their line of battle. And it causes them to have to shift over to where they have to eventually shift back again when, when the train enables them to. That's one way the train is going to help out Rosecrans on this first day of the battle. Meanwhile, Buckner is down at, he is at Bedford and Dalton's Ford. He hears all this shit going on and he's like, fuck, I'm not going to move. And he doesn't get across when he's supposed to. And this is eventually going to piss Braxton Bragg off because Bragg thinks they're going to cross unopposed. And that's absolutely not the case. So Wilder's men, they rip up the flooring from the bridge and they, they make a fort out of it. And Walker and his Confederates end up going north of Byram's Fort because they're like, we can't cross this. Fuck that. Like, it's not worth it. So they end up crossing at Byram's Ford. Minty eventually ends up retreating. I mean, who can blame him? He's outnumbered, right? And Johnson eventually makes it across, but he ends up marching the wrong way. And he's got to double back again. <laughs> Again. We've all been lost, Mary. We've all been lost. I know. Lou right? Wallace. <laughs> Wallace, you know, too much Lou time, Wallace. You know? Poor Lou Wallace. To your point, though, and with, this, with this, this stuff, the delaying is gigantic because what it, by delaying them, you know, Wilder did retreat. Obviously, Mint yeah. retreated. Uh, they fell back. But what does it do? It allows George Thomas's 14th Corps to be able to march behind Crittenden yeah. and strengthen up the left side of the, of the Union line which yeah. is going to stretch from the, the left all the way back to Chattanooga. So yeah. he, because he delayed it, it allowed them to really bring up the, the A-team of this, of this army. It really, yeah. it really brought them up. And, you know, Cheatham's division, we talked about mostly Georgian guys. There's that cool story about the woman here at the potato farm. The, yeah. um, Did you uh, write that story down? I know that story. Don't you know your stuff? <laughs> I do. No, De- 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 uh, Debbie Thedford. You must know Debbie Thedford. Everybody knows Debbie Thedford. So she owned a she owned a potato farm, and she had a house. Her house, just so you know, was Braxton Bragg's headquarters. Well, that's right. I've okay. been there. Before. So she's like the widow Thompson at Gettysburg with Bobby yeah. Lee. Nice. But this, so she has two sons who are fighting in Cheatham's division, and they both fight on her farm. And she allows the Confederates to eat potatoes and hang out. Well, two of her sons get injured at this battle, 
and they're brought back to her house and one of them actually dies in oh, the house you grew up in. I'm remembering this okay? story now. Really? You remember yeah. the story? And it, this is the house of Brax, Brax, Brax headquarters. She got the nickname the mother of Chickamauga. Yeah. There's your potato story. Nice. Yeah, so hey, Good. always Thanks. trying to personify this stuff for you, Fincher. Yeah. I'm doing my no. best. No, it's, it's awesome. So by the end of the day, there's 9,000 of the Confederate troops that have managed to cross, but it's the end of the day, so they can't fight at all. So they've managed to push them back long enough that Rosecrans is able to, as Darren said, get Thomas marching along the Lafayette Road. Thomas is going to have to march all night, though, to, to get behind Crittenden, kind of extend that the, the Union left a little bit further. But the one thing I want to say about this is that you know, when you look at what happens on September 18th, like I came away from it the first time I read it thinking this is the first day of the battle because this is not a skirmish. This is not just cavalry fight like at Gettysburg. This is an actual battle happening because mm -hmm. of all the different parts that are in motion here and just what, you know, what this day means because had Minty and Wilder not been there, things might have turned out a lot differently. Well, you got to think if Minty and Wilder weren't there, Crittenden gets crushed. He gets yeah. absolutely crushed by Johnson. And, and then they punch a hole right in the middle of the Union line. Yep. It's gonna, he's going to split the Union army before even Thomas gets there. The army's still separated. Maybe the army gets beat in detail because of that reason. So it's very, very, I, yes, I tease you about Minty and Wilder because <laughs> it's always a noun, a verb, and Minty and Wilder when yep. you talk about Chickamauga. Okay? Yep. But it's true, though, because it allows them to basically put up some speed bumps, guard the fords, delay them as long as they possibly can, in time for Thomas to be able to set up on the left and really strengthen the union. Yeah. So, it's, it's, so you know what? I'm going to say it. You're right. I'm Minty Wilder. <laughs> okay, you're right. Okay. Yeah. So September 18th is the first day of the Battle of Chickamauga. And it is on this night that Thomas is going to move his corps from the center to the left and his men march all night along the Lafayette Road, which is going to be a key thing in this battle. And they're going to be near Kelly Farm by dawn. Bragg orders his troops to finish crossing, and he sends Forrest to screen the army towards Lafayette Road, which Forrest is not going to do the greatest job ever at this. No, no. He's going to have his issues against Brandon here coming up. But, but before we get to the 19th, though, you know, he does, Bragg does get strengthened by 5,000 of Longstreet's guys who show up. He does. So, so not Longstreet himself, because he's still about a day away, and we'll talk yep. about him in a little while, where, where he ends up walking around and hanging out for a while. Yeah. But he, but he does get strengthened by two divisions of Longstreet's Corps that is going to show up, um, about 5,000 guys. Yep. And this number is what's going to push them really over the number for the Confederates versus the Union. So now yep. they've got the number advantage. So now the Confederates are back on offense again. And the Union's going to fall back on defense again. And that's going to set up the 19th, which is really going to be Rosecrans probably with about 55,000 guys at this point. Yep. And Bragg, probably about 65,000. So about a 10,000-man disadvantage for the Union. Already the Union's shown communication mistakes. They've shown mm -hmm. positional mistakes. They don't know the territory. They're fighting in swamps. They don't know where the hell anything is. And now you've got really a really strong portion of the core coming from the east, right after Gettysburg. Longstreet's going to come down, and he's going to head down there to really strengthen these guys. And this, this is really when you start to see Thomas kind of exert himself. Yeah, Thomas um, is on forced the to, on the next, on the next yeah. day. Thomas is forced to exert himself in many ways in this battle. Actually, he's I think he's kind of the, the true hero of this battle. One of many, actually. So going into September 19th, the fighting is going to begin at a place called Jay's Mills, and it's almost accidental. 
how it begins. Much of the fighting today, it's, it's going to be another, it's going to be another absolute clusterfuck. It's fought in different places. It's very piecemeal. Communication is shitty on both sides. Much of the attack is going to be focused on the Union left, but then it keeps going down to different places, which if you've been to Chickamauga, you'll recognize names, Brock Field, Rutherton Cabin, Vineyard Field, and all that are going to come into play here. Basically, what, what is going to happen is both commanders are going to make the same mistake when they begin feeding divisions into the growing fight piecemeal with little or no regard for the integrity of the Corps. So you have divisions fed in and their core commander could be somewhere else. Part of it, too, is, is I think, you know, when you see some of these other battles, you're, talking, you're marching all your guys in. I don't think either general knew what the other army was, to be honest. Especially no, you. No, they didn't. You know, when you, when, Bragg had shaped intelligence, and so did, so did Rosecrans. The cavalry is supposed to be giving him intelligence, and Forrest is not doing a great job of it. Well, you, you think, okay, so now we're on the 19th. Okay, Thomas is going to order Brigadier General John Brannan's division, yep. okay, which is what you're west of the Chickamauga. Yeah, they think there's one single Confederate brigade that's sitting out there. So he's like, go up there and get that ass, okay? Yeah. So so he's gonna go out there. He's gonna go out there to Jay's Bridge, right near the um Jay's Mill, right near Reed's Bridge. Yeah. And this is really the opening engagement, not County Minty and Wilder, the opening engagement really yep. of this part of the yep. battle. And this is really when the Union is now going back on the offensive again. This is where you start to see guys like Nathan Bethany Forrest. He ends up basically going across a field. Now it's 7 o'clock in the morning. Everything starts at 7 a.m. Nathan Bedford Forrest is going to attack across a field and you're going to see John Croxton's brigade again, taking advantage of that terrain and hiding in those woods. So he's going to unleash a volley, which is going to stun Forrest cavalry. Yeah. It's going to get knocked back. Eventually, you're going to start to see infantry brought up by the Confederates on a William Walker's Corps to fight Brandon. And at this point, it's a fucking mess. Oh, it is. And it, McCook it's, has been ordered to go destroy reed's bridge and they couldn't fucking do it that's the bridge that would not die but the one thing that thomas has been told by rosecrans is do not bring on a general engagement so when he thinks there's only one there to fight he's like thinking this is not going to bring on a general engagement meanwhile what this general engagement does he chose like, every battle apparently i know what happens don't, don't bring don't on general, general engagement, engagement. Oh, no, who the hell general engagement <laughs> you know but, but again, go back to confusion, though. Croxon doesn't even know what four or five brigades to attack or go capture. Go find them. Okay, well, fine. I'll, I'll do my best. Croxon does get pushed back. Absalom Baird's division of the, of the 14th Corps does kind of take over again. Yep. And then you start to see the arrival of the Confederates coming peacefully. And it's more so in yep. waves. This is where you see John Liddell showing up. He arrives. Mm-hmm. He's part of Walker's Corps. He's hiding in the woods, too. He ends up outflanking Baird's entire division. And again, it's that back and forth and back and forth that goes on. That's how it goes all day. Winfrey Field, Brock Field, the divisions and troops are just going to be sent in piecemeal at a time because there's no communication. But I think part of the reason for this is just because of the terrain thing. Like they can't see where anybody is. It's worse than the cornfield like we were talking about last week with Antietam. I called them the rolling hills and you had some other... Undulations. Undulations from the geography master over there. You're not learning nothing. (laughs) but at one o'clock bragg decides to order ap stewart in who he's had just ap stewart's been kind of sitting waiting he's going to go to the area where the brotherton farm is and he's going to hit three federal brigades immediately and the fighting there again is just back and forth back and forth back and forth finally at 3 30 p.m stewart commits his last brigade he manages to route the division of Union General Van Cleves. But the Confederate oh, cool name, name, by the way. Van Cleves, yeah. I like that name. That's my, my, one of my favorite names. Van Cleves. 
Horatio Van Cleve. <laughs> you got to say with that accent, too. I don't know why, where he's from. It's not, it's not as cool as Schimmelfenning. He's probably from Tucker Island, for all I know. But you know what, though? We'll, we'll make sure he sounds like he's from Transylvania. What about weird. Schimmelfenning? I can't say. Schimmelfenning? Or Shishinovsky? Shishinovsky? Shivanovsky? Shishinovsky. I don't know how to fucking say it. It's 11th. Oh, Chris. Yeah, Chris. Chris. 11th core stuff. You know, that's course, our OO like, reference. I, 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 the 11th core. There we go. We got OO into this. But before, before all that happens, though, I mean, going back earlier in the day, Richard Johnson division of my cookies going to show up. Yeah. On the cook. But basically, this is that really cool story, though, where the Rebs capture those six artillery pieces mm-hmm. and they go and get them. They kill like 45 horses and they, they, they kill like 40 guys. But they get those six artillery pieces from Company H of them, you know. So that the 9th Ohio, a bunch of Germans, speaking of Howard, Howard's influence was casting big shadows over this battle too he wasn't even there but this is under colonel camerling so he's basically these these ninth ohio guys these germans go ahead of the lines completely disobey orders whatever however you say fuck it in german that's what they said and they go ahead you know what they do they recapture the six guns yep and there's a lot of that that goes on in the battle chickamauga a lot of these stories about you know just this heroism that happens you know we're going to see it with lytle on the 20th which we'll talk about in the next episode with the breakthrough and all that Chickamauga has been described to me before as not one big battle, but a series of smaller battles. And just those guys like that go in and they're like, we're taking these guns back. When you study this battle, if you're an Eastern guy, you can't help but think of the Wheatfield of Gettysburg. Oh, yeah. You just can't because it's very similar with different guys coming in, different divisions coming in, yep. you know, over a relatively small, I don't want to say small area, but a, a confined area, a limited area. And you've got divisions Orange rolling through one after the other. Some of the hardest fighting. You got Benjamin Cheatham speaking to him. He could be on our podcast. He's a hard drinking, hard fighting guy. He could be he a could. guest on the show sometime. Definitely. You know, he was, you know, Tennessean, so he's fighting close to home as well. You know, he's basically going to take to the woods fighting, and it's gonna be just brutal, brutal fighting the entire time. There's so much going on here in this battle. And you have other people coming into it as well. Bushrod Johnson, around 2 o'clock in the afternoon, he's going to face off against Jefferson C. Davis's two brigades marching north from Crawfish Springs, which is where Rosecrans had his headquarters. Um, Can you imagine the shit he took being named Jefferson Davis fighting for the Union? I mean, just the, you know what I mean? He didn't help himself by shooting that guy. Well, that's true. But Which I mean, the just, anniversary was today, and he also didn't help himself with Ebenezer Creek. And then you have Union General Thomas J. Wood, who's going to figure in our next episode, poor bastard. He's ordered to march north from Lee and Gordon's Mills around 3 p.m. And he's going to be fighting. He's going to end up being in the Vineyard area, the Vineyard House, the Vineyard Field, which is where kind of the last bit of fighting takes place this is where the rebs again try to gain ground and it's kind of the second to last thing that is going to happen in this battle and this is also the time that rosecrans is going to deploy his last reserve which is general philip sheridan so general philip sheridan is fighting in this battle sheridan's here he's going to be yep. fighting as well you know yep. sheridan obviously he's going to be famous for things later on but he's fighting with mccook's division uh, yep. mccook's corps rather he's in the 20th the xx one the extra extra large one <laughs> but there's a lot there's a lot of cool ones. I mean, speaking of course, you know, you mentioned John Palmer. We talked about yep. him last night. We would talk yep. about him. He, he's a division commander in Crittenden. He uh he helps to fight Cheatham, but he ultimately runs for president in nineteen ninety-six with Simon Buckner, his adversary on the other side of the field. They decide yep. to run neither wins. They don't they don't they don't get they ain't got it, but but pretty cool. These guys mm-hmm. all come back 
come back. But, but you know, it's, it's, it goes back and forth and back and forth. It spills over to Brookfield. I'm stealing your thunder. And, this, is your, this is your baby. Oh, no, it's okay. You're doing <laughs> awesome. It's, but the fighting will wind down at Vineyard Field. That's just kind of where the, the rebels kind of, they try to gain their last bit of ground there. It winds down and it goes quiet for a while. Around 4.30, Bragg sends an order to General Patrick Claiborne, who has been held in reserve all day. And he says, you need to attack. And he says, I want it done by 6 p.m. Well, Bragg has no concept of time. So he orders Claiborne's division, which, as I said, has been held in reserve all day. They're going to attack in an area called Winfrey Field that has been quiet for a few hours. They're not ready to attack till around 7 p.m. Now, keep in mind, it is late September. It's getting pretty dark by this time. And because of the train as well, it's also very dark. They're having to fight in the woods. And the only source of light for them eventually is going to be the gunfire. So you can just imagine how that would have looked. Just flashes of light in there. And it's very, very chaotic. There are troops in this battle, in this part of the battle, that are going to be killed by friendly fire on both sides because you can't see the color of the uniforms and you don't know where anybody is. David A. Powell, who is actually one of the major sources for Chickamauga, says that this battle, this part of the battle is actually just, aside from adding to the casualty list, it's indecisive. Claiborne does not capture that many guns, but he does manage to push them back. Yeah, and obviously, to your point, it's one of the rare circumstances of fighting, night fighting. Yep, you, don't, yep. you don't see it in the Civil War because, for the most part, they would fight until night came. That was the end of it. Yep, Dark would come and it would take care of that. I know you're definitely a Claiborne yeah, person. I'm actually certain. shocked he was held back as long as he was like held in reserve because, I don't know, maybe things would have been different if he'd been deployed to some other area of the battlefield at some point in time. But, you know, he's held in reserve all day. So he has this night fight. And that's what ends. So the fighting at Chickamauga starts at 7 a.m. It winds up probably around 8.30. And there's no daylight savings. Actually, daylight savings would be over by then, wouldn't it? There was none at that time. No, but it, when does that end? That's, well, I guess it would still be going on. It would. Yeah, it would. it would. But again, just look at some, just some of the carnage. You know, you know who's yeah. there is Jerome Robertson. He, you know, he, he had fought in the uh, triangular field at Gettysburg. Yep. You know, they end up getting stuck in a ravine. And they're getting pounded by 18th Indiana battery just pounded and Wilder himself was physically sickened by the carnage. Yeah. He just says, this, this is just too much. Um, eventually they fall back to Brookfield, but, but um, the night fighting, I mean, Claiborne himself even said it was the heaviest fighting he ever heard. Yeah. And he was in the thick of it too. Like Claiborne was the type of general that would get in and fight with his troops. And there's actually a really amazing painting done by it's one of his rare Western theater paintings. Um, Mark Kunstler has done one called Claiborne's night fight. And basically what Kunstler does in it is he has, you know, a federal soldier on one side and a Confederate soldier on the other, and they're both firing at the same time. And they're lighting up Claiborne as Claiborne's firing his revolver. So he's in, the thick, of the, he's in the thick of the fighting. And that was typical Claiborne right there. He's told by Bragg, which he probably thought the orders were ridiculous. Oh, yeah, but, you know, but what's amazing is people are still coming into the battle. You know, this yeah. is where you see Alexander Stewart show up in Buckner's, Buckner's on yeah. the core. He's a, he, just like you, he's a former math professor, Mary. <laughs> so, you know, your long, long relative shows up. Jeez. Math genius shows up on the, on the field. So, but again, it's this constant waves back and forth and back and forth. And it's one of those things where it just ultimately at the end of the, it's, it's indecisive. The union's going to fall back. They're going to fall westward again. The line's going to bend, but don't break defenses, they say. Yeah. Um, and now it's nighttime and the fighting finally stops. And you know what? Now it's freezing cold, and they're not allowed to light fires, and yeah. you've got wounded everywhere. There's thousands upon thousands of people there, 
wounded and not wounded. There's not enough water. So it ends up being just a just an overall brutal, brutal situation. The Rebs will hold Chickamauga Creek. Basically, at this point, right around here, I think, is when Rosecrans learns that the Army of Northern Virginia is here. Yeah, yeah, that's when he, yeah, that's when he gets news about that shit. Just, just when your day is getting shittier. <laughs> Fuck, long. <laughs> seriously? I mean, that fucker's here, damn it. <laughs> well, you know what, though? As bad as it was, and it was kind of indecisive this time, you know, he still holds Lafayette Road. He still holds that road. Yeah, which is Rose the important Brands thing does. that he needs. He needs to be holding that road because so that is where, major That road. night ends with holding Lafayette Road yep. and Thomas still on the left. So they're just same, almost the same type of geomet- geomet- geometric, God, <laughs> position, overall stall battle. As the night goes on, there's still more guys coming and more guys coming. And then finally it does settle down. Like we said before, now these guys are just going to yeah. chill literally and figuratively. because it's, it's, Even though it's this time of year in, in Tennessee, Georgia, apparently it's freezing. No, there's a it frost have, that night. There, one, there, of those, there, one of those Coors Light trains must have gone by. It froze everything. <laughs> it's probably what happened. There's a frost. That's exactly what happened. Like men woke up in the morning and their blankets yeah. were, were frozen. And they can't light fires. It's horrible. You can't imagine. Like I've read some of the accounts of the soldiers and just how their blankets had frozen. And because of the guys are so close to each other, they don't, they don't let them light fires. They yeah. just deal with it. So it's just, it just imagine, you know, we try, just try to, you know, personify and humanize all these people. You're lying in this field. It's you're wet probably. It's freezing. Have you hear moans of the dead. There's no water anymore. Yeah. And this is just the first day. Well, first day in it. Yeah. Apologies to Mincy and Wilder. But, <laughs> this, the, but this is the first, the first, this is the second day with the first full all day, you yep. know, extravaganza. There's more to come. Yeah, you know? there's more. And there's one thing we have left to discuss, and that is the evening war councils that oh, happen. Yeah. So I, have, I do have a quote from Powell. He, said, he states, fighting had raged unceasingly for more than 12 hours. And by the time the sun set, nearly every brigade in the Union Army had seen action. There's only five fresh brigades that remain available for the next day in this. Mm-hmm. So on the Union side of things, for how things are, Rosecrans sends a telegram to Halleck, and he says, we have just concluded a terrific day's fighting and have another in prospect for tomorrow. The enemy attempted to turn our left, but his design was anticipated and the sufficient force placed there to render his attempt abortive. I call bullshit on that. <laughs> wow. I'll spit up right there. <laughs> Mary calls bullshit on that. One. <laughs> Let's go to the film, Johnny. But but I but you're right. Though. I shouldn't I mean, be such course. a douche about it. But I mean, there's no way he knew. You've got you got angry. You're an angry soulmate, Johnny. But but you're right though. I mean, but you know what? You know something. What else is he gonna say? Well, yeah, I mean, he's, he's downplaying gonna... the he's downplaying the struggle. Powell argues that in one of his books that he's downplaying what's going on, the damage the army has suffered. He's even described the number of Union dead as inconsiderable, but admit it to the number of wounded as being very heavy. And what is Halleck going to think about that when he gets it? It's like, what is what does this mean? Like, where are we at for this? And he does tell them Bragg's got superior numbers. And he concludes the telegram by stating the army is in excellent condition and spirits, and by the blessing of Providence, the defeat of the enemy will be total tomorrow. You know what? It reminds me a lot of, of Beauregard's Shiloh letter. After oh, absolutely. Time. It does. It's yeah. very, very similar, yep. where he's like, dude, I got this. It's fine. Take it easy. Stay home. Watch football. We got this. We're going to finish <laughs> up tomorrow. You know? But it's, it's funny. There's somebody that's there that 
will have similar thoughts to Rosecrans, which is very surprising, and that is Assistant Secretary of War Charles Dana. Mm -hmm. He's at this battle, and he's um, everywhere. Charles, he Dana. is. Like he's I thought, a, he was. A, I thought he was at Vicksburg. He's, he's involved in the Lincoln assassination Grant. conspiracy. I thought he was supposed to be up watching Grant drinking. Apparently, he's down here now watching Rosecrans and spying on him. He's ubiquitous. He is. <laughs> One of those four, four syllable words. <laughs> Darren counts. <laughs> I got to. Like my grade one teacher taught us, ubiquitous. <laughs> so, <laughs> you want to go over to the Confederate side of the coin, talk about the night, the shit show that's going on over there, and that's on the east side of the river? Yes. Um, the actually, well, there's a couple things I want to mention about the Union before that. So, the mood is described as being positive and upbeat at Union Army headquarters. Um, despite thinking themselves badly outnumbered, Bragg, they figured they've taken the best punch that Bragg can throw at them, which it's Bragg. I mean, that's, that's uh, safe to assume, right? And they, they think they've stopped the rebels in their tracks. The Union Army, though, is in a jumble. So Thomas is the primary field commander controlling five of the, ar five of the Army's 10 available infantry divisions. Crittenden and McCook's troops are less defined since Rosecrans had cannibalized which is amazing from Powell, cannibalized their commands through the day. And this is the piecemeal thing here. This is where like you're told to go somewhere and you don't have your commander. And I would like to think that just from the human side of things, if you're told to do that and you don't have your commander and you're told to go somewhere else in the battlefield and you're like however far away from them, you're literally on your own, right? Because you're like, who am I supposed to be taking orders from? Well, it's another battle that the Union didn't really anticipate happening at that point. They yeah. were kind of caught with they were kind of caught with you know their britches down a little bit. Yeah. And 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 so, uh, I think overall, I think Rosecrans did a halfway decent job overall. I mean, he held the line, he maintained the Lafayette Road, which is which was the big road. Bragg still has a few more cards to play, but he's going to fuck that up. It's his War Council, which apparently he's, again he's talking to himself again because no one knows, no one hears him. You know, <laughs> he's in the mirror. He, he's, so, but you know, another story is you know. Another case where James Longstreet shows up and it proves again why he doesn't have the Waze app because he doesn't know where the hell he is. He, arri <laughs> yeah. he, he, arri he arrives at 2 p.m. on the battlefield and Bragg doesn't, he's no, he doesn't put a guide to go find him. The, the amazing thing about this, he gets there at 2 o'clock in the afternoon on, on the 19th. He doesn't get to Bragg's headquarters until 11 p.m. He's bumbling around in the woods. The, the whole thing with the Confederate War Council is, first of all, how not to hold a war council. It's basically Bragg, he must stand in front of a mirror, as you know, you and I were talking about earlier. I would say that the theme I'm of Braxton this is Bragg. Like, I'm smart enough. I'm good looking enough. Remember that Saturday Night Live skit? Yep. I have my dog Braxy. <sighs> Your dog Braxy. But but you know, so he he reforms the entire army, basically. He basically oh, he does, says, yeah. He just decides he's like, I'm gonna reform the whole army tonight. And he's said to have hated war councils. Like, and many of his subordinates in the spring of 1863 had went on record as saying they had no confidence in him, and he's still in charge. But that's because he's Jeff Davis's friend, which is another thing about... You know, um, they got... Like, by, okay, by the night of that... Davis. By, the, by nighttime, by 11 p.m., they've got three lieutenant generals on the field. they got yeah. three. You got D.H. Hill, you got Polk, and you got Longstreet. Yeah. And they still completely screw the whole thing up. Yeah, so they do. He, he basically reforms the entire army. So he's going to put D.H. Hill under Polk. That's how he's going to do Okay, yeah, they were basically the right wing. The time, right? And so he's going to have, right, Polk's going to take over the right wing. Longstreet is going to come in the left wing. Yep. Now, where it gets hilarious is either Bragg forgets to tell Hill that Polk is now 
is, is that's the case. He, if he gets to tell Hilda, he's now under Polk on the right wing. So he doesn't know that. And he sets up John Breckenridge, who was going to be at the D.H. Hills division, puts him basically at the front. This is going to be the point of the first morning, the next morning's attack. He's going to be the lead element. Yep. He's going to be the one who's going to get going. Yeah. You know who doesn't know that? D.H. Hill. Brecken, Breckenridge. Breckenridge. And like, there's so many that don't know because, because Bragg doesn't actually hold a war council. He meets individually with, with these subordinates, which he does meet with Polk. And he eventually, once Longstreet bumbles his way in because nobody's there to meet him and he's having to find his way to Bragg's headquarters in the dark, in this forested area, he eventually makes it. So Bragg manages to talk to Polk and talks to Longstreet. He doesn't hold a council with both of them present at the same time. As Darren said, he's decided to change his whole structure of the army into a wing structure. So there's the right wing under Polk and the left wing under Longstreet. He's relying on Polk and Longstreet to relay this information to who needs to know. And since Longstreet does not arrive until 11 p.m., it takes him a little while to find Bragg because he doesn't send anyone to meet him. Like, what the fuck? And Bragg's plan is to attack the Union Army from the right to left in a ripple effect. Polk was told to attack at dawn, which is Breckenridge. Am I getting that right? You are. Yep. Except Breckenridge doesn't know he's going to be the No, guy. Breckenridge doesn't know that. And it's actually Hill that is meant to start the attack as well. And Longstreet would come in after that. So there's this communication breakdown that is occurring because people and can't find each other. Now, we know D.H. Hill fell asleep at 3 o'clock in the morning in the War Council. We oh, know yeah, because he's, right? he, well, he's bumbling like, like right. he's wandering around in the middle of nowhere. And finally at 3, he can't find Bragg to figure out what the fuck he's supposed to be doing the next day. He's finally like, I'm in the middle of the woods. I'm just going to lay down and have a nap. You'd think he would have learned from what, what it means to lay down and have a nap after he had caught John Reynolds having a nap. A nap is a good thing, though. Come on. <laughs> it is a good thing. It did it's not work. Thing. John Reynolds would tell you a nap is not a good thing when you get caught. Well, D.H. Hill's the one time he got caught. Shit. But because you know, we were talking talk before. Can you imagine in Gettysburg, Hancock shows up, runs into the great Oliver Otis Howard, and they have this conversation about who's going to take over, and neither of them remember it, and neither of them takes over? That's yeah. kind of what it, it's not as That's it's what exact this is. comparison. But do you realize how bad you've got to fuck this up? When you're all in the same damn room and you're giving the orders and no one hears it, it yeah. makes me wonder if maybe Bragg just didn't say it and that but, was his excuse the next But time. they're not in the same room. That's the thing. Like he's telling Polk when it's just him and Polk in the room. And then when Longstreet shows up, he's telling Longstreet. Mm-hmm. And he's saying to both of them, okay, you need to go relay this to, to your subordinates. Right. But, but they they're, all, they're all in the same room. I mean, they're all in the same general area. There's, yeah. It's hard to imagine an order that important, that big getting that screwed up yeah and it's important especially when you're reforming the whole army that's like saying both you guys are playing shortstop not telling them and both of them go to left field just yeah. stare at each other exactly and they don't know where anything is and that is like that is how the army of tennessee is on this night in 1863 so nobody knows what's going on except polk and longstreet and bragg which who knows if Bragg has told Polk one thing, Longstreet another, the story gets changed along the way. Like who knows what happens. Um, either way, Hill does not know that he's supposed to be starting this off because Breckenridge has not been told. Keep bringing this back to Gettysburg just because I keep doing it. It's somewhat re- reminiscent of the second day's battle at Gettysburg when Longstreet is expected allegedly 
per Lee, the Lee people, that he's supposed to start early in the morning and it yep. doesn't start till later. And there's no or the next day when Longstreet's supposed to attack on the third, and it just doesn't happen. So there's obviously a communication error, probably bad internet, realistically. Trust me, there's very bad internet out where Braxton Bragg's headquarters is at Chickamauga. I've been out there before. It doesn't work at all. It's because of the paranormal activity. Braxton Bragg is a very angry ghost. He's a very angry man. Well, we pick this up next time, because this is pretty much where we're going to stop the battle, right yep. here. Right we here, where, these guys- where DHL has... He's fallen asleep in the woods and he is not going to get the orders that Bragg wants him to attack at around 6.30 in the morning. He's Uh not going to get that order. Somebody somewhere smarter than me is going to have to figure out what happened with that court counsel, how it all got screwed. Because it just doesn't—it just doesn't seem possible that it could be that screwed up. No, that—that that is Braxton Bragg. It would be typical of him because he hated war councils. So Pope comes to see him once the fighting ends. He tells Pope, "Okay, you're going to be in charge of the right wing, and this is what I'm going to tell Longstreet. You know, go tell people, go to your people and tell them what they need to know." Longstreet shows up. It's well after 11 p.m. when he finally shows up at Bragg's headquarters, and Bragg is like, "Okay." You're in charge of the left wing and you got these guys under you. Now go find, now go make sure you relay the orders. By the way, D.H. Hill needs to attack at like 6.30 in the morning. That's what I've, that's what I've told Polk. That's what needs to be relayed. So hopefully it's going to get relayed. That's basically how this whole war council goes. It's not like Meade's war council in the early morning hours, I guess would be well late, late July 2nd, early, early morning, July 3rd at all. It's very... This is typical when you look at Braxton Bragg at this time, you know, I'm not saying this is how he was his whole career. When you look at Braxton Bragg at this time, this is how he was. What's too bad about it, this could have been the battle where Bragg redeemed himself. He had all the tools. He had the union all spread out. He had him on the run. He could have beaten piecemeal. It goes back to that first day again where you could start bagging divisions, but they don't know what the hell to do. Mm -hmm. It's obviously a bad bad leadership and that's the braxton bragg mo that goes all the way through this but yeah. this was not a good day for rosecrans the battle up to that point now he he was able to stumble his way through it and hold the line and hold that lafayette road but again an opportunity missed for him but i don't think he knew what was going on i don't think he knew no. who he was fighting he started seeing guys from the a and b showing up he starts yeah. getting he starts getting prisoners from from long streets you know he's like long streets here i mean what the hell hmm. so he so he started to find out what's going on with this. I think he did a good job at the end of the day, going from the offense, to the defense, the offense, to the defense, and not getting his entire army destroyed. But I think a better, when we go back to Albert City Johnson again, if he was in yep. charge of this battle, how it would have been different? Oh. If the what if people don't like it, I don't give a shit. Because I think it he would have made way, a big, big different. difference. Because you would have had leadership, you would have had real command and control, mm. And you would have had a more of an aggressive guy. But, but you know what? The Brax, Braxton Brax was aggressive in this one, though. He was. No, he I was. Just, he, like, he was throwing, like, he had to keep, and it was reluctant, though, that he had to keep throwing in men to fight. The but they the, both were doing, both sides are doing the same thing. Because you look I, at how many, much in reserve that the Union Army's got left at the end of the day. Alexander Stewart breaks the line. He breaks the Lafayette Road. Yeah. He gets there. And he looks around and goes, fuck, I'm alone. Yes, he does. Ambrose right at Gettysburg all over again. Yep, he doesn't I, have the troops. Know, he doesn't have the troops support him, and he's got walk. He's got walkers. He's got reserve. He's got a reserve corps that he has to split up and fight piecemeal instead of using them to help yep. drive the line. Once guys like Stewart get through, yep. And so what, if, see- what if what if Bragg had taken when Stewart's made this breakthrough? If he had sent communication back to Bragg, 
which who knows if he did. So he's managed to break through at the Brotherton cabin, the Brotherton farm. If they, if Claiborne had been close enough to come in, what would have happened? You know, like yeah. the only reason he's got to pull back is because he doesn't have the, the troop strength to do it. It's really too bad for, for Bragg. And I'm not going to be soft on Bragg. But he had the numbers. Mm-hmm. This isn't a situation where you're fighting piecemeal. This isn't Chancellorsville where you're going up against huge numbers and you're still finding a way to win. He has the large numbers and finds a way still to screw the whole thing up. Now, not to spoil the ending for those who don't know, but the Confederates do win this battle. Yeah, they but do it's ultimately ma- win the battle because of a but major fuck up. It's it's but it's like the the blind squirrel finding the nut is what it ends ultimately oh, ends up doing. I, that's exactly what it is. It's, it's a huge screw. I mean, as we'll talk about, it's a huge screw up. But you know, the whole thing with like Bragg nodding, not wanting to send in. I mean, he's reluctantly sending in the troops, but he had more to send in. You know, it kind of harkens back to McClellan at Antietam with not wanting to send troops in. I, I think with McClellan though, I think he just didn't want to. He didn't want to wreck his army. He he didn't want he liked yep. he liked it in place. He he just didn't want to use it mm-hmm. for whatever reason. I think he wanted to protect his guys, which is probably why the guys liked him. I, I just I don't know if it was the terrain or the circumstance, or they didn't maybe they didn't think they were going to actually fight there or what. Thing I think Bragg got ahead of his skis. I think he was over his head. Yeah, I think he knew, he knew he had a shot, and he just fucked it up. I, I think Bragg at this point though is like kind of in his. He's more concerned about what his subordinates are up to and what they could be doing. And I mean, in wanting to take over the army in scheming mm-hmm. against him. And I'm talking about Polk. He doesn't like that Longstreet is coming from the East. He sees that as being very, that, that basically offends him. He's like, well, what the fuck? Does, does not think I can hold my own, but especially Polk. But I mean, Polk, I, I get it because Polk is the type of guy that gets an order and he's like, oh, fuck this. It's a guideline. I'm not going to do it. You know, he's already in, encountered that in this battle. And I think Bragg is just, you know, this this war council is like such a fucking clusterfuck. I, I think he just, I think you, you hit the nail on the head, though. I think he was intimidated by the fact that we said before, you've got three lieutenant generals on the field with him. You know, if you're a rookie quarterback and you see Tom Brady, you see Mahomes, and you see Aaron Rodgers all behind you watching, you're going to be intimidated. I oh. think I think that has a lot to do with it. maybe not Tom Brady to screw him, but I mean, pick out the quarterback, all right? Drew Brees, one who, uh, one who didn't leave me. Drew Brees. Um, Drew Brees, fine. Drew Brees. But I mean, I, I think that's a lot of it too. I think he had an yep. inferior, inferiority complex. He had the he reputation did. of cutting and running all the time. Yep. And I think he found himself with an opportunity, and I think he was just so afraid of fucking it up, he didn't act. And when he yep. did, he just it, it was just too late. But he still wins it. That's the funny part about it. They yep. still win it. And that's what we're going to talk about next week is the conclusion of the Battle of Chickamauga and just kind of what happens a little bit after that as well. The siege of Chattanooga is what it's going it turns to end into. on 25th of November, which we discussed as the greatest day of the year. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, but again, hey, you know what? I think it's a great way to tease the way this battle is going to end. Yeah. Um, I think as we leave this podcast at this episode right here, you see both armies again staring at each other almost where they started. And I think the Confederacy has an opportunity. The Union, I think, has an opportunity to defend. We will find out what happens next on the next episode, eighth of the Civil War Breakfast Club, as Mary Fincher again talks once again about her favorite topic, (laughs) the Battle of Chickamauga. So anyway, until next week. We will we will be back with you Saturday morning for our Facebook Live, which if you're listening to this, it's (laughs) 
It'll be we'll happening at 10 a.m. Yep, happening at 10 a.m. This episode, I try and get it out. So basically what I do is once I get the episode edited, when I finish editing it, I post it as soon as I edit it. So it could be available at like 11.30 on Friday night, you know, but if, you've, if you're subscribed to it, which awesome. Just stay are. up all night Friday. You'll be anyway. I will be sitting in my house editing the podcast. <laughs> Come back from the bars at three o'clock in the morning. Throw in the breakfast club. It'll be it's available morning. for you. It's all good. But regardless, we will be, to your point, we'll, we'll do the Facebook Live at 10. We'll yep. put a bow on the first day, first two days. I'm sorry. First two days of the Battle of Chickamauga. Yeah. We will talk about anything anybody wants to talk about. Maybe even the Indians. Who I just checked the score. I'm not going to tell you how they're doing in game one against the Yankees, but they're losing, aren't they? What's the score, Darren? Just tell me. You really want to know what the score is? Yep. Four to one Yankees. Fuck. Yeah, well. Hey, by the t- okay. By the time this thing airs, though, the Indians will be winning the series. Yeah, they will. They will. All, all the confidence in the world. They got I thought it. you said not to tell you how the score was. I thought you told me not to tell you the score. Today. Well, whatever. I'm whatever. I'm going to get blamed for this long. <laughs> anyway, I did my best. I tried. <laughs> Go socks, socks and twenty-one. Mary, always a pleasure. We look forward to talking to you soon. Yep. And again, everyone, thanks for watching this, or if you're listening to this, hopefully you're having a beginning of a fantastic and safe weekend. And we will see you on our Facebook Live at 10 a.m. Be there, be square. And we will look forward to talking to you next week when we talk about the final stages of the great battle of Chickamauga. See y'all. Peace out. <laughs>